Hello, babes and trolls, kids and queers. Welcome to Millenniagram, the Enneagram podcast your pastor definitely won't be recommending. Together, we are here to learn a little self-deprecation, a little integration, and together, dig ourselves out of our goddamn ditches. Let's get into it. All right, what up, everybody? This is Garbage Oprah, a.k.a. Hannah Posh, and I'm here and queer and ready to talk about fours because we're the greatest thing that ever happened to the universe this is my favorite episode wow um today i have rika lively here who is a really cool friend from twitter who is now an in-person friend what's up in phoenix arizona um the home of the actual face of the sun and um (laughs) rika welcome to phoenix and tell me a little about about yourself yeah, thanks. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, so I am Rika. Um, I am all sorts of things. I am queer. I am biracial. Um, I am married and I have to say that because I love my wife and it's super gay <laughs> and it's super lame. Um, I am just finished my first year in seminary at Isla School of Theology. Um, and like any good four, I'm having an identity crisis. <laughs> so I am <laughs> determining whether or not um, seminary is right for me and whether I'm going to go back to school. So I may be a seminary dropout, which is super exciting. Oh my God, seminary dropouts. Yes. Unite. Um, I'm in my mid-20s, so having a mid-20s crisis, which is super fun. But So on brand. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I love theology. I have worked um, in and for the local church for the past five to seven years doing anything from missions, student ministry, most recently communications, which has been a really fun switch for me because I'm actually using my degree, which is cool. Um, I'm really interested in writing. I'm really interested in working with LGBTQ youth in spiritual trauma. Um, I've written for the Our Bible app, which is a really great app um, for it's super queer friendly and affirming um, and kind of focuses on minority authors, mm. which is really heavily needed in this world. Um, I'm super a nerd. I love Nintendo games. Um, so most of the time I play my Nintendo Switch, which is super fun. Wow. Um, and I currently work uh, for the Bible for Normal People. I'm the community champion for them, and we'll be interning with the Reformation Project this fall. That is so fucking exciting, and a lot of things, and oh my god, are we the same person? <sighs> yeah. A little bit. My three ring. Um, I, yes. So, um, I'm really excited to talk to you about being a four, um, because I am one and we're the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to hear, like, to start us off, how, um your particular setting growing up like your family your culture your upbringing sort of like um like sort of how being a four integrates into that and what your experience has been yeah and like i know i don't know about you but like being a four i have all these like cinematic memories of like pivotal moments yeah that like were formative for me so Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have absolutely wonderful parents. Um, my so I'm biracial, so my dad's white and my mom's black. And so um, partly um, fours relate to this lost child thing mm. where it's like, I must have been adopted or switched at birth yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And so, um, which my parents will probably listen to this. So I have to say, I do have wonderful parents. Um, but despite <laughs> that, there was a lot of me feeling like, oh, my parents don't get me. Um, and so partly, I think being biracial there's this tension of not really knowing what your race is. Mm. Um, And so I'm always curious as to how biracial fours probably feel about that, because I think being a four adds an extra layer, because there's this idea of that we're so special and unique um, and and trying to find ourselves 
for me, it was always growing up, um, trying to look up to my dad, trying to look up to my mom and realizing, well, I'm not like my dad because he's white. Um, and, mm. you know, I couldn't relate to that because that just wasn't what my skin looked like. But then looking at my mom and her family, she comes from a huge black family. Um, whenever we would visit, I didn't understand black culture because um, mm. I grew up in white communities. I grew up in suburban communities. And so I was very white on the outside. Yeah. Um, but black appearance um and so for me I always felt like I couldn't relate to my parents my parents didn't understand what it was like to be me Mm. um also my parents were very um distanced in a way um so my dad worked um so many hours and so he traveled a lot for work um so he wasn't home a lot and so when he was home he was still working um and with my mom we don't really emotionally connect so there was Mm. that kind of distance of like emotional distance and actual physical distance so there's this and idea. we feel the, the emotional yes. distance so strong yes so i was like man like no one understands me um and so but you know the interesting thing is is um for me so four is like long for this rescuer right like mm-hmm. who's gonna re- like who's gonna replace this need that i have that i may not be getting from my parents despite all the love that they really did give to me um and so for me it was kind of a late childhood moment but um, the church really became like my surrogate family. Um, oh, yeah. So that was in, gosh, my junior year of high school. I got involved with the youth group and I got heavily involved <laughs> because they like gave me the attention that I was longing for. Um, you know, so it's interesting. I, I really think I am an introvert with some extroverted tendencies. Yeah, and so um, with youth groups, like extroverts, thrive in youth group uh, at least evangelical youth groups because it's dodgeball and it's music and it's (laughs) games and it's messy and so um i really thrived in that environment so everyone gave me all this attention and praise and affirmation and as a four i was like oh yes give it all to me i Um, need all of it yes i'm the center of attention i'm a black hole of affirmation (laughs) (laughs) so the church like became my surrogate family Mm. um i got really heavily involved with them um i was the youth praise leader I created programming, created leadership events, um, and so they were really my rescuer for that time because my parents and I were so distanced that I continued to put distance between me and the people who loved me, um, and I think force mm, can kind of do that at some yeah. times because we feel like we're so different. Yeah, so almost like we have to maintain those barriers that make us retain that identity, that yeah. like sense of, of separateness. Yeah. Because we kind of, I don't know about you, but I kind of get off on it a little bit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I love pushing people away. But what what I we am do? Too unique. For yes. Great. We push people away and then secretly go. Okay, I'm, but I'm waiting for you to come back but, to me. But, 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 um, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, just... please come back and look at me moping. <laughs> really artistically. Yes. Over here and beautifully. Because <laughs> everything is oh. beautiful. Oh God, it's it's painful. It's painful how real it is. Um. So. Well, I guess kind of piggybacking off of that, do you still, does the church still kind of occupy that space in your life or like how does that work? Yeah, so that's where my queerness comes in. Um, I have a very complicated relationship with the church because the church that loved on me, loved on me, what a Christian term, um, and gave me that attention I was looking for specifically, I was part of that church for five years. When I came out in that space, I was completely rejected um, and really pushed away. And so that was really difficult for me because the church had been my surrogate family. And interestingly enough, that experience pushed me closer to my parents. 
Huh. Um, and so I, now I'm really close, like closer with my parents than I was before. And I've been able to look back at that experience and see how, like, I kind of pushed my parents away thinking I was so different thinking they didn't understand me and thinking, wow, we're so distanced because we don't connect emotionally. Yeah. Suddenly this experience, like they switched places, the church now and I were really distanced and my parents and I got a lot closer mm. and I didn't feel like I was this unique black sheep anymore. Interesting. Um, which is so weird because a lot of times queerness usually gets in the way of like family relationships. Usually, yeah. yeah. But it did with your surrogate family. Right. And the family that yeah. had been giving me all this attention. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I, it's funny that you, the way that you describe it kind of sounds like a push and pull between um, distance and intimacy, which I feel like is a very, um, it's a recurring theme in Fourness yeah. is that like I push you away because I want you close and mm-hmm. like, you know, there's almost, I feel like, and maybe you can speak to this, for me being so hyper aware of my emotions all the time, um, I get told all the time that I live for the drama. I don't feel like I actually live for the drama, but I just like, I have this heightened experience of emotions all right. the time. Um, and so, but sometimes that means that I can't just like be peaceful and like have I, I, something always has to be happening in my emotions. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, because it's almost like if you're not feeling something, then, like, it's almost like you're not alive. Do I exist? Right. Like, <laughs> like right? Oh, like, our feelings oh, are identity. Oh. It feels like it. I mean, that's, like, the MO of the fours. And so, um, one of the, I mean, interesting things I've noticed about myself, which, I mean, so especially with that experience of being rejected from my church um, and being rejected by specific people, I, th- my supervisor where I was working at the church was really became like my surrogate dad. I mean, we were so close. Um, I had dinner at their house every week. Um, I mean, he was really like a father to me. And that was the hardest relationship that... To let go of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I I still do this to this day. And that it's been almost three years. Um, but I still do it to this day where I have these like conversations in my head of like the conversations we would have. like The hypothetical conversations. Yeah, oh my God. Surrounding theology and sexuality. Or I'll have these com- like these scenarios in my head where we run into each other, and I'm like looking all badass and doing my best. I'm like, look <laughs> at where I am now, bitch. <laughs> and so like I still like, and I still do that even though I'm all across the states. Like, like I'm not gonna run into you here. And so that like whole fantasy self, like, oh shit, yeah. Talk about the fantasy self. Yeah. Say more. Okay, so we're just going completely yes. off in the questions. Right, right. I know. I'm terrible <laughs> at answering questions. I apologize. <laughs> Um, no, so this whole idea of the fantasy self has been something I've really been working on because I live in my head mm. so much. Um, but we do this thing where I, well, I won't speak for all fours. I'll speak for myself. I do this thing where, you know, I, I have these expectations where I'll create these scenarios or these ideas of something that's going to happen in the future, or I'm replaying things from the past and how I wish they would have gone. Or, you know, we have, you know, as we're all artists and creative that, Oh, I'm playing in front of people at this huge concert, and it's amazing, except I haven't practiced guitar. You shut your face like right years. now, Rika. I have not had this exact dream <laughs> at all. Yeah, and he's there watching me and be like, <laughs> well, I should have never rejected her. <laughs> She's too wonderful. She's too radiant. Right. Um, so we live in, like, this fantasy world, but what happens, though, is we miss out on the beauty that's around us and on the present mm. and the people that are around us. Mm. Um Especially either, like, we're not letting go of relationships or things that have happened to us when we need to. I'm all about healthy grieving, and I'm all about Mm. healthy, you know, 
ruminating on things that you really need to process. I'm all about healthy processing, but there for us, we have a habit of just chewing on it for too long. Wallowing. And yes, wallowing, not being able to let go of it. And so I, sometimes that fantasy self gets in the way of like being able to let go of things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Bitches, I'm flying solo this evening. Um, and I am here for it because I like myself. Um, so I'm going to do the Dear Garbage Oprah section on my own. And the question coming in about fours today is from um, my dear friend Antonia on the interwebs. She says, Dear Garbage Oprah, the question is about how so many descriptions of fours include things like quote unquote prone to depression or quote unquote depressive. How do we think about this when it comes to actual depression and anxiety? Is this an unhelpful part of the four type description? How do we parse out the difference between depression as a mental health reality and whatever the hell the Enneagram people, she capitalizes here, Enneagram people, TM, mean when they say fours and depression are linked? Love a four with depression, but it's not like a mood or whatever. It's just a thing that happens with my brain sometimes. Okay, well, as a four with depression... Um, I will say that the relationship here is complicated. Um, I know for me, well, let's just talk about fours and emotions first. Um, I've had some interesting feedback recently on Twitter about, um, fours being sad as fuck all the time. Um, and some fours being like, wait, but I'm really happy and I contribute a lot of happiness and beauty to the world. And I'm like, awesome. Good for thou. Um, no, actually, that's really amazing. And I feel like I contribute or at least try to contribute beauty to the world as well. But for me, um, a lot of what I consider beauty leans more to the lament and the grief side of things. So what I will say is this. I feel like fours are really able to sit in the fullness of whatever emotion is presented to them. So... There's a balance here because a lot of times when we are not in health, um, that contributes to wallowing, which for a person with actual clinical depression, my fourness and wallowing can create like the perfect milieu, if you will, um, for a depressive episode. And so that's something that I have had to learn to reckon with, um, to not be afraid of my feelings um, because sometimes... In order to stave off depressive episodes, I try and avoid that shit like the plague. But I, th- I have also felt like part of the beauty that I can contribute to the world as a four is being able to hold those spaces of grief, to be able to hold those spaces of lament. Um, and I, I mean, God, not to get too fucking biblical because, like, let's be honest, that's not my bag. But um, I did always love how the prophets of the Old Testament, um, they had these these gorgeous, like, chapters-long poems that were essentially just fucking um, dirges, fucking laments, um, and they were, they were holding space for the pain of separation between the people of Israel and God, and I really relate strongly to being able to be a voice that says, hey, you know what? 
motherfucking capitalist hellscape, everything is not okay. And so you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to amplify the sadness and the grief as necessary because I am going to rub your fucking noses in it. And so I feel like Um, But not all fours feel that attachment to grief. For me, grief is a very cozy place. It's kind of like home. It reminds me that I'm human. It reminds me that um, the human experience is is complicated and that my own story, I love love sitting with my own story um, because I feel like it reminds me where I've come from. I don't want to dwell too much in the past, but I also like to build a firm foundation for my life, right? So um, I do not think that talking about fours and maybe using the actual word depression is maybe not helpful. I do think that it's helpful to talk about fours and mental illness because it affects us in certain ways that maybe the other numbers wouldn't relate to. Um, And that could be a whole fucking episode, so we probably will do that at some point. But... um, I think that there is space for talking about the ways that fours hold grief as kind of an old friend, uh, maybe a bittersweet, a bittersweet friend. Um, we all have those, right? So um, it doesn't have to be grief. I know some fours who are just like, joy, I'm going to pump it out into the world, um, like fucking Amelie or some shit. And I love that. Um, my soul relates to that desire um i i lean sad personally just an emo bitch however um i think that it is helpful to maybe not link fours with the actual word depression because we kind of need to learn how to and and antonia mentioned this in like sixes with anxiety we call sixes anxious all the time and They definitely exhibit that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have like general anxiety disorder or something like that. So I think it's really important to differentiate between um, mental health terminology and the ways that fours um, express their emotional intelligence. I think that our emotional intelligence is a gift that we have to offer the world because we are able to hold space that um, a lot of other humans do not have the range for, bitch. So, um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my answer to that, um, and I really appreciate you bringing that up, Antonia. Mwah. Love you, boo. Kids, did you know that we have a Patreon? Yes, we do. Listen, it's fine. Everybody's got one. We're poor motherfucking millennials, okay? We really could use your help to put this goodness out into the world. Um, More garbage over for the masses, honey. So if you could go to patreon.com backslash millenniagram, go check out our rewards. We have some cool shit going on. I'm talking affirmations. I'm talking secret content, millenniagram after dark, if you will. Um, We're talking one-on-one millenniagram sessions. So give it a look. We can't do this without you. Babes and trolls, unite. So there's kind of this um, recurring theme with fours that we're naturally creative. And Mm -hmm. I hear hear a lot of fours pitch a fit about that because like, oh, I'm not a traditional artist and I don't, you know, paint. Are you reading my mind? (laughs) I don't paint in a studio that's specifically designed to like be artistically pleasing. 
Um, but we are naturally creative and like we tend to design our space or design our life mm-hmm. or design, um, design the way that we approach things, like come up with new and inventive ways to do things. So I'd love to know how that, um, how that thread kind of shows up for you in your personal and professional life. Yeah. Um, so just when you were saying that, that honestly made me think of when I was a kid, I used to create these playlists on my iTunes account before I went to sleep. Yes. And I would create like a scene and a story out of the playlist. So as I was falling asleep, I had a story to fall to, like fall asleep to. I don't know why that came to my mind, but I thought I should share that. Oh, that's the deep, that's the most fourth thing I've ever heard. Yes. Anyways. Um, so I was a creative writing minor um, for undergrad, and that's actually something I've been trying to pick up again, um, because I used to write all the time, Um, and actually when I came out and had a really traumatic coming out experience, I stopped creating, Mm. and that was really difficult for me. Um, I'm a musician, and I'm a writer, and so I stopped doing that, so it's only been in the past year that I've started to pick that up again. Um, so writing's been really um, good and healthy for me. Um, I Like I said, I've written for the Art Bible app, and I'm excited to have some more um, devotions out there for my queer family. Um, Gotta read your shit. Yeah, I just have one on self-care. I'm going to have some more in the next couple months. Okay, cool. So I'm going to be writing that. Um, Another thing that I do in my professional life um, is I do graphic design, which has been really, really fun. I'm self-taught, and I've been doing graphic design for the past couple of years. And as you just said, um, I... (laughs) I do this thing where I'm like, I'm not an artist, like, I can't draw, like, I can't paint, (laughs) like, any sort of illustration, I'm just off, I'm god-awful at. Um, But the great thing about um, graphic design is that what I can't do with paper, I can do digitally. Interesting, Um, yeah. And some people might say, like, oh, well, like, graphic design is, like, not real art because you have all these programs to help you, but it's it's just tools. It's creative. Yeah. You're creating something. Yeah, those are the tools, like, that's my canvas, and those are the tools I use, and so... Um, I do a lot of graphic design in my free time and I do it for work and that's been I mean so much fun like I'll put on a playlist I'll put on a song and I'll like just try and think of like oh what is this song conveying and how can I turn that into art I'm what so weird that I'm picking up here <laughs> what color is this song <laughs> <laughs> oh it's painful it hurts me wow yeah um so that's been really fun I've always said that I'm gonna write a young adult fiction novel um I think I miss the young adult fiction of like post-apocalyptic themed novels because mm. those are really popular so i'll have to jump on the next bandwagon of whatever young adult fiction is happening have you written any ever um so i was writing a book um that was like secretly about jesus um because <laughs> was i was like one of those undercover ones yes the like, um, missionary dating book oh like- oh man <laughs> um so and i have to say like i am post we all talk about the ex-evangelical so in my yeah. evangelical days um i was writing a book um about the scene in the woods and there was dancing and there was jesus and there was it was about like how we try to get to god in traditional ways as if that is the only way to access god but um, that there are more informal ways um how c.s lewis of you yeah that's basically <laughs> what i was going for <laughs> Yeah, I might pick that up, though, because I'm in this weird place with my faith where I'm kind of like, ah, I'm maybe holding on to the Christian thing. Probably not. And so I'm wondering, mm. in that place, how could I write about the divine? Um, yeah. Which is still something really interested, interesting to me and something I still find really beautiful. And it's funny how much people or, or like, Christians who are, like, in in 
like institutional Western capitalist Christianity, mm. um, who they see us leave the church and they just think, well, they they just walked away entirely or they're rebellious or whatever. And I'm like, we are out here trying to literally rebuild our spirituality from mm-hmm. the ground up and we are still trying to discover the divine. We are still hopeful. Yes. And that is not something that I think is accurately conveyed. And, I, you know, white white capitalist Christians don't really give a shit. And we don't care. But, right. um, but at the same time, I think exploring what that could mean for you outside of like you know the religiosity that yeah. that you have experienced could be really healing yeah i was so involved with the church for so many years and that also was part of this whole like black sheep thing that i had with my family mm. to go back to that point yeah because like i was the only religious one who was like going to church and reading their bible every day like my oh, my mom's okay. a believer but like church wasn't like a big thing for her so like and when you're in church too at least the church i was at they tell you like you're doing all the right things like the people around you who aren't going to churches who aren't reading their bibles who aren't serving people like they're missing out and they're not doing life right right so like i already felt like okay i'm doing life right and also they're different because they're not doing they're gonna be the, a lower rung of heaven basically oh no they're not going to heaven <laughs> <laughs> oh my <beat>, my <laughs> um yeah wow um well that's really exciting and i want to read your ya novels um yeah when i write them one day <laughs> someday we get around to yeah you know just like the perfect feeling setting oh yeah it'll be in a cafe for sure oh absolutely yeah. like the right song will be on yes yeah mm-hmm. feel it feel it um so i want to talk a little bit about um about feelings because we have a lot of them and so like what I'll, I'll say for listeners is that fours are in the feeling triad, but I would say, um, so twos, threes, and fours are all in the triad. They all have a very particular kind of emotional intelligence, and the twos and threes we've kind of already talked about in previous episodes. The emotional intelligence of the fours tends to be more... Um, tends to be more inward focused. So where twos and threes are trying to project certain things out and like maybe almost kind of manipulate the feelings of other people to create the scenarios that they want. Fours are, we are very self-absorbed naturally. Mm. Um, <laughs> are we now? <laughs> so, um, and you kind of mentioned this already with the fantasy self, but a common theme that I see with fours is that our feelings tend to remove us from reality. But when we can learn to integrate the two, it can be a really beautiful thing. So talk to me a little bit about your experience with that. Do you mm. feel like you've made progress? Yeah. And, so I, <laughs> I have to laugh to myself when I'm being on this podcast. Like I don't feel like I'm a very healthy four. Um, I'm working on growing in that aspect. Yeah. Um, because I can be in my head a lot. Um, and so I also do this thing um, where... There's things that I want to be and things that I want to do, um, but I'm so stuck on, like, my feelings and I'm so stuck in the fantasy self that mm. I'm not actually getting around to doing those things. And yeah. so I'm missing out on the present. And so it's something that I'm really working on um, by trying to just, like, get up in the morning and be like, okay, like, what are practical, real things that I'm going to do today mm. um, to achieve the person that I want to be um, And that's been really helpful, Um, even just, and so I guess this is me integrating to my one, is, like, making lists. 
and being like oh my god here are the things that i'm gonna get done today (laughs) and like here's like the time frames that i'm gonna get them done in and i can add like here's the music that we're gonna listen to (laughs) just to make it fun for me and then here's the treat i'm gonna have when i'm done for checking off my list Um, i don't know if that answers your question the reward the reward is so real yeah and it's the most important it's so important like today i wrote for an hour and then i was like I think you should go back to bed. You got a lot done. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, well, I was like, okay, we're going to record this podcast tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and get some, like, iced tea now for a good job for later. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, Sort of. Sort of-ish. Yeah. Um, so, what, so, um, I would like to while we're on the feeling subject, if we could talk a little bit about um, navigating relationships, like both 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 friend and romantic, because okay. I feel like um, fours have really interesting dynamics that they bring to relationships that I think a lot of other people don't understand, maybe because we don't want them to. Yeah, because we don't ever push people away, ever. <laughs> what? what? Um, so I'd love to hear how... How you've learned to navigate healthy relationships being a four. Yeah. Um, not being an emotionally manipulative asshole. Um, <laughs> no, in How dare serious- you say it so plainly, Rika. Um, in all seriousness. Um, so um, it's interesting because we just moved. Um, so I'll hold on the friends thing and, and return to that because um, our friend community has kind of changed. Well, I will actually talk about friends. Um, I have a great friend who's going to be listening to this, so I'm going to call him out. His name is Justin. And Justin. He, he is a beloved and wonderful person. Um, but when we first met, we had such a hard time getting together, like getting together and trying to connect because he wasn't emotionally connecting with me. And oh. to me, that was so important. It's a death knell really, um, for friendship. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't emotionally connect with me, like, right away, I'm like, meh. Except that he was, it it just looked different. Okay. Um, You know, like, it looked different than what I expected, because there was this, like, um, I love you, Justin, but you tried to dad me a little bit, tried to be the father, because there's an age difference. But anyways, co-worker, good friend. Um, But for me, like, in that friendship, I learned about how to have empathy for people who are coming from different perspectives Mm -hmm. um we also did enneagram like as a staff and sort of like realized what like his number was i was like okay well here's where you're coming from like here here's where you are here's where you're growing here's where i'm growing um and so for us to have empathy for each other i think is really important that fours are really good at having empathy for the people they're in relationships with Mm, um and for helping like friends or partners process their feelings together yeah um we're really good at renewing ourselves but i think we also have this gift of helping others to renew themselves too Mm -hmm. um we can kind of share that with them so i think in relationships we have this power to help people process their emotions and i think that's really powerful and incredible because emotions are hard yeah um, and a lot of people don't want to feel them or, or don't know how to process them so as culturally we just do not value it at all right um and especially like if you look at even gender, which is whatever that is. Um, Who knows? Like, like men aren't allowed to process their emotions. Yeah. Um, and women, if they do, like, when women do it, they do it in really unhealthy ways. Like, that's what culture tells us, which is super but dumb. They're hysterical. Right, or right. Or unreasonable. Or shopping their feelings. And so <laughs> I think for Fords, it's been cool to see how we help each other process their emotions. Um, yes, ask your question again so I can answer it. Yeah, so um, how has... 
how has navigating relationships how has how have you found a way to navigate healthy relationships as a four yeah um i think also not emotionally dumping on people um so my wife is a nine oh so she's a really good listener yes and also doesn't always tell me how she's feeling or what she wants she's not gonna have an immediate response for you right and so for me it used to be I'd like have a bad day or be feeling anxious or everything or anything and I would just go to her and be like blah 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 blah. word vomit I feel awful help me rescue me save me (laughs) and she would just sit there and look at me like deer in the headlights and and would sometimes say like I don't know what you want me to say um which is a really unfair expectation for me to be like to put that on her yeah like fix this yeah fix this um and so like I had a really unhealthy habit of doing that um thankfully she's been really patient with me and I don't do that as often um but I realized that like people who are really good listeners like friends who are good listeners or partners who we like I think for fours we like to assume that like the whoever a special person is whether it's a close friend or a partner like, we like to think that, like, oh, like, they are our savior, and so we get, like, they're going to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so realizing, like, that's not how this relationship should work, because that creates unfair expectations. Um, yeah, that's just not fair. Right, right. Another thing that I think that at least I've done in the past, too, is when I get into my head and I, like, create these scenarios or conversations, I create these expectations for people so I have my ideal self that, like, I think I'm going to act a certain way or achieve these certain things in the future. But I'll also do that to my wife. Or, like, oh, well, when she gets home, we're going to have this conversation. And she's going to respond in this way. And she's going to do And you've X, already y, and played Z. the whole oh, thing out in your yeah, head. Yeah, <laughs> I've planned everything. And so that's really unfair to her because it creates these expectations. And when something actually happens, like, and it doesn't go the way I planned, then, like, I get super disappointed. And so I'm not only hurting her, but I'm hurting myself, um... Yeah, that happens all the time, like, with sex and everything. It's... Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's a bad habit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like um, I want to come back to something that you said about um, about helping other people navigate their emotions. Um, I think that that is... I think it's a really cool skill that we bring to the table. I know for me personally... What I have sometimes done with it, though, is, like, I approach people who are emotionally withdrawn or or not, like, having no access to their feelings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I, I got you. I can, I can fix this, you know? And then I start relationships, whether they're friend relationships or romantic ones, based on this kind of savior complex almost mm-hmm. a little bit, you know? So... If nobody's going to save me, well, then I'm going to save somebody, you know? Mm, Yeah. And so um, it's interesting to think about how we can provide that, like, very vital skill that people need without without the need to, like, fix them or have it be on our our timeline or, like, um, without expectation. I think that's been really hard for me. Yeah, and I think also, I wonder, um, actually my wife said this this morning, so I'm stealing it from her, um, (laughs) that I wonder if it's because we can experience such a wide variety of emotions um, that we feel like we know them all, and so like 
Ooh. our experience is more valid and so like we we're the experts on emotions so like we should be in each other's like in other people's lives like meddling and helping and yeah. because we think yeah. that we're these emotional experts which whether we are or not doesn't matter <laughs> like it's like having boundaries with people yeah. and being able to respect where they are um is definitely an important tool to have but can be difficult because in one sense we want to help people process but on the other hand like being able to respect people where they are and having those boundaries is really important to making other people feel loved and safe and that they can trust you um so I can definitely relate to that how does that play out specifically for you like being in a long-term relationship with a nine yeah because they they tend to have more like delayed yeah emotional responses um so for me it's learning to realize that that immediate response isn't going to happen (laughs) but that it also doesn't mean that they're not experiencing an emotion at like right because i used to think like well you just don't care you just don't have a feeling yeah you don't care about this you don't care about me (laughs) um which is super selfish um and so for me now it's um one learning how to process my emotions without having another like i don't have to have my wife be with me to process emotions like i can Mm. find healthier ways to do that on my own or like if i'm feeling spiritual that day and a spiritual (laughs) (laughs) depends on the day um but so learning to process on my own because that gives her space to not have to take care of me um Mm. and to be able to process her emotions on her own timeline and then when she's ready i might have already processed my emotions and so now i can finally be a listening ear which is like you know something i can do for once um or we can do that we like when she's ready we can process together because i mean i saw that when we came out because the weird thing about us is we like as a couple we came out um to our church at the same time yeah so we had each other to like to go through this whole experience with right um but like we're also reacting to it really differently and so like for me i've my relationship with the church looks way different than her relationship with the church and like well some days i think i'm ready to come back to it like there are days that she is not and so i'm like i can't Mm -hmm. drag her with me to be like you have to be ready for this because i'm already ready you know (laughs) i've been ready (laughs) let's do this (laughs) um so learning the process by myself has been really helpful because i think it's easy to rely on like these saviors that we have in our life that we Mm. want to come rescue us yeah absolutely um so and this i mean this question is open-ended so it can kind of go anywhere but um what has the what has your personal edge of growth been like you have the fantasy self you you have like the emotional self-absorption what does what does growing um i i always think about like growing up in the church there was always the concept of um sanctification and like becoming a better version of yourself and i was like that's so vague what does that mean um and so what do you feel like growing into a more a more holistic a more centered person looks like for you specifically where are you headed yeah so for me specifically personally <laughs> i've noticed ever since i've become aware of the enneagram <laughs> like i've just, like because i'm longing for identity that I've latched on to the four description. Like, so I'm like a very self-aware four and I'm like, oh, I've read this thing about me that tells me that like, oh, I like to be melancholy and I think I'm inherently (laughs) flawed and like I'm searching for identity. Great, this is me, I've found who I am. And realizing that I'm like not using this tool as a tool, but I'm using it as a crutch and just saying, well, 
I'm just a four. And so for me, growth has actually really been learning to not do that anymore. Mm. Um, but to actually say, okay, like, how can I use this as a way to grow? And how can I use this as a way to learn about myself, but then to also become a better version of myself? Um, so learning to be like, I'm a self-aware four, but also don't get stuck in a box. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Cause that's not healthy. Um, another thing for me, I, I noticed like growth for me is finding beauty um, in day-to-day things. Mm. Um, that's been really helpful for me. And when I'm able to do that, I'm able to find joy, mm. um, which has been really helpful. So for me, like growth has been like learning to look for beauty, look for beauty in the fact that like I'm in between jobs right now a little bit, um, yeah. like finding beauty in the fact that like we just moved across the country Um that's been helpful for growth for me um, because beauty is, is important to fours, um, yeah. but we often like look for it in really big abstract ways that aren't always present to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to be present to reality and be like, hey, where I am is like, I can still find this to be beautiful. It's usually like we are looking either to the past, mm-hmm. how things could have been, or to the future, how things could be, and forgetting to be here yeah today which is the only day we have right you know so yeah like learning to be present like I've honestly thought about like tattooing that on my arm just so I could look at it and remind myself like be present be here be present be here um because it's so easy to be stuck in my head because in my head it's safe and it's and it's all the things that I created it's so much fun to do it (laughs) on our road trip to Phoenix when I was driving I was like oh I have so many things I could do in my head right now that I'm like, I'm so bored. I have to be in the road for six hours. What can I think of? So much shit to imagine. Oh man, it was bad. So um, <laughs> learning to be present is definitely a growing edge for me. Yeah. God, same. Um, so another thing that I think about is, um, so being in, being in the feeling triad also means that um, there's a sense of projection, like projecting an ideal self either to other people or to ourselves um and so sometimes we can use the emotional intelligence that we have not to be in touch with the self or with our essence but to to manipulate things to be be the way that we want them to be so um how do you use your emotional intelligence as a tool rather than a weapon hmm that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'll i answer that question first by saying how I've used it as a weapon. Yeah, um, I'd like to hear. Because I think we do this thing, I do this thing, where I'm like, okay, I am what I feel. Um, and so if Ooh. I'm feeling worthless, then I think I am worthless. Yeah. And that isn't healthy. That's not, that's not helpful to myself. That's not loving myself. And so, like, I think we can be so in touch with our emotions that we think that they're reality Um, And so being able to have this wide knowledge of like, oh, like, here's all the things that Rika can feel today. Um, When we have these negative emotions, like, I have to learn that it's, that's not who I am. Like, that doesn't contain me. Um, That's just what I'm feeling today, but that's not who I am. Um, And so believing that I'm more than that, um, I think is a way to use emotional intelligence as a tool, but Mm. also to help, again, like I said earlier, helping myself to process emotions on my own rather than rely on other people and use them as a crutch. Um, and rather like, cause I think we manipulate people in that way in a sense. No, 
What? Um, it's unfair to them. And so, um, because we, knowing what other people are capable of, it's not fair to put that burden on them. And so... Have gosh, you ever found yourself, like... Um, like, I used to do this thing when I was a little girl where I would genuinely feel... Re- I would feel really sad about a thing. But I really just needed everybody to understand how sad I was about it. And so I would be like, I feel all the sadness, but nobody can see it. And so I would, like, cough up some crocodile tears and, like, try and make it super... Oh, my gosh. Super convincing. Yes! Okay, this morning, I stubbed my toe. <laughs> I stubbed my toe on the couch, and my wife was in the other room. And I groaned until she came out and said, what's wrong? What are you talking about as a child? I am still a child. Um, yeah, that's not using emotional intelligence as a tool. No. Um, but... Like I noted earlier, too, I mean, I think <laughs> while we can use it as a weapon towards ourselves, we use it as a weapon towards other people. Um, using it as a tool is helping other people process, like I said earlier, those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way, I mean, that, again, is an incredible superpower. I, I just think it's the coolest thing that we can help people go through their day and have empathy towards them and walk with them and love them through, gosh, I'm such a Christian, um, <laughs> love them through all the things that they're going through. Um to help people renew themselves and start their day and look at it in a different way and to find beauty in their lives. I mean, how cool is that? That's fucking awesome. Right? Like, it's a superpower. It super is. Um, So I think when we're able, but to be able to do that, we have to be present. And that's how we Mm. use emotional intelligence as a tool is we have to be present to what's happening around us. We We can't do that in our heads. We can't help people in our heads. We have to be here. How dare you? I know. I love I love it in my head. I it's love so helping fine. people in my mind. I know, but it just does nothing it's, gets accomplished. It's the best. I can't prepare. I, I will say, I think there is healthy amounts of preparation that can happen. Like, yeah. Like, in your head. You can plan in your head. There's nothing. Like, I don't want anyone to think that, like, preparation is bad. But fours have this unhealthy habit of, like, staying too long. Mm, that's really good. That's yeah. a word. That's a word. <laughs> Um, I think another thing to say about that is because we are so in touch with our feelings, if we can be present and in touch with our feelings, so many people move through the world not feeling like their feelings are worth mentioning. Mm. And I I saw um, the Mr. Rogers documentary the other day, and Ooh. I can't stop talking about it. Um, but he has this quote about how um, anything that is human is mentionable and if it is mentionable it is manageable and i feel like for fours um we we are really good with the mentionable part Mm. we're really good with like being present to how we feel about things but um but the managing is not always a place that we get to because we think that like um whatever our feeling is should somehow supersede Mm -hmm. all other things. It feels the most important. Right. You know? And so I feel like if we're able to be present and in our feels, then we can kind of model for other people how to express them in a way that is balanced, in a way that is um, giving giving ourselves and our pain and our grief, like, the attention it deserves, but also being like, but I'm not going to stay there. Right. You know? Right. I like to think that if there, if our brain is a box, uh-huh. then we are inside the box that is inside the box that is inside the box. <laughs> like there are five boxes, and we are at like in the tiny one. So many layers. So many layers. Like a little, like a little Russian doll. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, 
No, balance is good. Balance is key. <laughs> balance is hard. <laughs> so hard. It's so challenging. Um, I want to say another thing, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I feel like nobody understands um, how much um, melancholy and grief can mm. be a positive thing. Um, and it can be a negative thing, but, but what I think fours are really good at is that we are able to hold space for those, those, those painful emotions. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that can be a bit of a superpower too. What I don't, I like, people always think that it sounds stupid, but like, it can actually be genuinely enjoyable. Yes. To be melancholy. Yes. Um, <laughs> what is that though? I don't know what it is. Okay, like, what's that meme that's going around? Like, yeah, sex is great, but have you ever been sad? (laughs) (laughs) With a really good Spotify playlist, have you ever been sad? No, I don't know what it is. Okay, so I say, like, our highs are highs and our lows are lows. Someone said that. I don't say that, but someone said that. I say it to myself. Right. I mean, I used to do this thing on road trips. We would drive to Orlando all the time. It's all about road trips. I know. It's a recurring theme. Y'all, I have been here for a week. I've been on the road for four days. Mm. Um, But I would put my headphones on, and I would, like, listen to music, and it would be raining in the car, and I'd stare out the window, and I'd be like, I just want to be sad right now. And I think, like... Does it feel more human somehow? Like, what, what are we trying to connect with there? We're not afraid of sadness. I... I don't know, like, I think on one hand, like, the world tells us to have this, like, society and capitalism tells us to have this, like, this happiness, right? I mean, that's Mm. what, that's the whole point of buying things, so you can be happy, so you can have this certain lifestyle, so you can look a certain part. I mean, you look at, like, models for, like, products, like, they're smiling, and they're like, oh, I mean, you don't sell things by, like, showing sadness. (laughs) You sell things by showing, like, happy, fun times, and so... um, I think part of us understands that, like, that isn't the full spectrum of life Mm. and that isn't the full spectrum Mm. of emotions. And so I'm not going to try and just only be on one side the whole time because that's false. That's not real. So I think it's probably part of the authenticity that we're going for. Yeah. Is, like, being like, okay, like, how am I feeling today? Um, And being able to be in touch with that and being saying, like, I'm going to be true to that um, and just enjoy that and probably getting enjoyment out of, like I'm being real with myself and being honest with myself. That's at, at least it's enjoyable to me. It is to me too, and I feel like um, I'd rather I would really really rather die than fake anything. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, even though I can, what I what I can do deceptively is is over exaggerate. Oh, but it's for never sure. coming from a place of untruth, which I think is sometimes lost because if mm. if somebody picks up on the fact that I am over-exaggerating an emotion, they may think that I'm faking the emotion. I'm not faking the emotion. I'm just, like, I'm hyping it up for you. Right, you right. Know, I'm gassing up the feeling. Right. I'm, well, and I wonder for me, too, like, if that's my three ring, like, I'm trying to perform mm. and entertain mm-hmm. for you a little bit. A little bit, but then yeah. And then they also, like, it's a little, some attention. Like, I need some attention. So yes. I'm going to... I'm going to show off a little bit because <laughs> I need it. <laughs> But I, I have thought about this, and, and I, I'm a little bit more removed from my Christian background, but um, something that was really um, 
really life-giving to me was thinking about how um, the prophets of Scripture um, a lot of times were just lamenting. Mm. They weren't maybe telling something new. They were just telling something true. And, and for me, because the world is shit um, in a lot of ways and, like, a lot of horrible and unjust things are happening, um, I felt like, and this isn't always healthy, and yes, it needs to be balanced, but, like, being able to hold that lament and hold that grief and say, I'm going to create space for it, not only in my own life, but for my community, mm-hmm. that can be really healing. People need to get that out of their bodies. Yes. People need to get that out of their hearts. So um, that has been a thing about being a four that has felt like um, like a service that I can offer people. And yeah. happily, like that's part of my love for humans and for the world is that I want to see them. I want I want as much as I want to be seen, I want others to feel seen too. Well, and that's using that emotional intelligence as a tool. Ayo, there it is. There it is. <laughs> We're gonna get there, Rika. We're gonna get We're there. We're gonna save the world. All the fours unite. <laughs> Sorry, ones. Wow, yeah, we've learned so much, clearly. <laughs> We're integrating to one. Right. So you know what? We're just gonna join the ones. Okay. And yeah, yeah, that's there better. We go. <laughs> Um, Rika, this has been really wonderful and we should probably do it again. Yeah. Um, but at the end of every episode, I like to ask someone to share an affirmation that either speaks to the human experience in general or fours in particular. Yeah. Do you have anything? I do. I, um, I, I'm hoping this doesn't sound harsh because it's actually been really helpful for me, um, and has helped me like love myself more yeah um so to all you fours out there don't you know take this with love um but (laughs) be okay with being more than your feelings Mm. um that's really helped me love myself um I struggle a lot with depression um and so when I'm feeling those feelings of like worthlessness and sadness um I I don't I need to know that I'm not those feelings I'm not when it's hard to get out of bed that like that's not all that I am. So to, mm. to know that I am more than that and I'm capable um, has helped me love myself and love my body and love my brain specifically. I force have a really interesting relationship with their brains yeah. and, with, and how their minds, you know, how that relationship back and forth. And so it's learned, it's helped me to just love my brain, love my mind. Mm. Um, so be okay with being more than your feelings. Um, it's okay. I like that. Yeah. You're, you're a body, you're a soul, you're in relationship with others. There's, yeah. there's a lot of pieces to you. Yeah. And that's good. And yeah. Okay. And sometimes it's boring, and boring is okay, too. Right. Right. There's <laughs> beauty there, I promise. There's beauty there, I promise. There's beauty in the boring. Ugh. I hate it. No, actually, um, integrating to one for me has meant a lot of... Um, setting routines Mm -hmm. um which always would like terrify me like i would i would go to the coffee shop and i would never order the same drink twice even if i only liked one i would order a different one every time because it's just like variety Mm. is the spice of my existence um and so setting setting healthy routines for myself has been um a way to feel grounded um while you know still still being in touch with my feelings but um being like okay that is an important feeling. I recognize that it needs to be processed at some point, but right now yes. I have to finish this book. Yes, yes. <laughs> so she can wait. Yes. I, I acknowledge you, but like 
later. Well, yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Rika. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Um, so I am at all the things at Rika Donye. That is Rika, R-I-K-A, Donye, D-O-N-Y-E. It is my beautiful middle name. Love it. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and keep an eye out on our Bible app. Um, I'll be pumping out some more stuff soon. Is is your stuff already up there? It is. I have one devotion on self care. Okay, look it up, people. Share it. All right. See you around. Yeah.